Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnKelly.com, as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Hope everybody had a nice weekend. Is Today is the fifth day of uh, December 2018. Obviously, anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball, sports, and unify in America. Just a reminder, you could comment on the Periscope or the Facebook Live feed. Or give the show a call anytime. The number is 732-364-3598. That's 732-364-3598. I did send out a couple uh, Instagram videos kind of highlighting some of the stuff that I talked about last week in regards to domestic violence. Obviously, domestic violence is a big issue and one that doesn't just apply to people in the spotlight and people in the world of sports. So we want to have the same type of standards. You don't want to have any pity put for somebody that doesn't have very much. Because think about it, if somebody does not have very much, they may be more inclined to be angry or disgruntled. So that person doesn't get a pass if they choose to hit their wife or their girlfriend. But um, we're going to talk a little bit about baseball today. And I threw this out there, and I did this for a reason. We threw the, uh, the, the possibility or the thought and obviously one man's opinion, and we'll talk about one man's opinion in a little bit, about the Mets' next move. And I haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about the New York Mets. We spent a lot of time talking about other issues. And if you think about it in a baseball offseason, you should be pretty excited if you're a baseball fan. And obviously if you're a Mets fan. They went out there and they got Robinson Cano. You could talk about him maybe being a little bit washed up, maybe being not at the level that he was 10 plus years ago, that's fine. But what it signifies is the fact that the Mets are going to be serious this offseason. And going back the past eight offseasons, you saw the team kind of standing pat, kind of in a spot where they're rolling over their roster year in and year out. And what you're seeing is, at least right now, is a sign that things are going to be different that there is nobody on the New York Mets roster that is considered untouchable. There is nobody on the New York Mets roster that could not be moved for the right price. And of course, that brings the debate out there when fans, and I'm one of them, I'm a fan, so I'm putting the same category as anybody else that roots for any other sports team. I have biasness when it comes to rooting for my own teams, but I also want to add some perspective and perspective that is uh, kind of on a larger level than just being under the microscope or in a tunnel type of vision when it comes to rooting for my favorite ball club. I look at the Mets offense the last couple of years and they've battled some injuries, but most importantly, they have underperformed. This is a team that from a run producing standpoint has not gotten a job done for a long time. If you're going to ask what is the Mets' biggest position of strength, obviously it's within their starting pitching. That they need to have a balanced and productive offense and defense to supplement that. And because of the lack of production over the last couple of years, which includes just about anybody that came up and swung a bat for the Mets last year, that makes everybody, yes, everybody, expendable. Now, when it comes to the Miami Marlins, 
The Miami Marlins are in a different type of situation, obviously. They're looking to get younger. They're looking to unload every player that they possibly can. And in some cases are not even concerned about what they get back in a deal. Look at what happened last year. Look at Giancarlo Stanton, Christian Yelich, Marzell Ozuna. What did the Miami Marlins get out of those deals that would make the Marlins fan extremely excited about what to expect in the future or especially in the immediate future. Now, I'm not looking for the Mets to rip off Mike Hill and the Miami Marlins organization. What I'm looking at is what would be constituted as a fair trade. Now, the Marlins are interested, which, by the way, and I have to bring this up, go back a month ago, you go back two months ago before that, what was the biggest need of the New York Mets? They need a catcher. What was the opinion about JT Real Muto? He's a catcher you'd love to have because of what he could do offensively, the fact that he's young enough. He's a guy that you would have a sense is going to be here for a little while. But he was unobtainable. The problem was is that the Marlins were looking for stuff that the New York Mets didn't have. They were looking for position players that were going to help at the major league level right away and be controllable for a little while. Now, all of a sudden, you hear the Mets are inquiring. Brody Van Wagenen is on from the Robinson Cano trade, and he's looking to make his next move or at least see what else is out there. And he's inquiring about JT Romoto. And he's asking the Marlins, what is it that it's going to take to get this guy? And the Marlins are saying, listen, you have a series of young, controllable, good position players we are interested in Conforto. We're interested in Rosario. We're interested in Brandon Nimmo. This is a change over what you would have thought a couple months ago when the Mets wouldn't have had no business making a deal with the Miami Marlins for JT Realmoto. Now, obviously, that leaves the question and the debates we could have as fans. We could discuss this amongst ourselves. We could talk about, would you like to see Michael Conforto traded? Which one of those three players do you think has the most upside? I think the majority of us would agree that Mike, Michael Conforto has a chance to really be a top five player in all of Major League Baseball. And it's not dismissing anything that Brandon Nimmo did last year. He had a great year. And obviously, if you look at weighted runs created, weighted on base average, he was in the top ten in the National League. Uh, obviously, his, his ability to get on base, his ability to step into a pitch, and obviously, the intangibles that he has, that big smile on his face, the fact that he runs everything out. There is no reason that you would, you would be a New York Mets fan and not be in love with what Brandon Nimmo brings to the table. So, my suggestion of being open-minded enough to trade Brandon Nimmo has nothing to do with Brandon Nimmo's production on the field has nothing to do with what I think of Brandon Nimmo as a player. In fact, you want to know what I think, I believe that you have to give up something to get something. So I'm not telling you that Brandon Nimmo is a fourth outfielder, which you've heard other people say. Brandon Nimmo is an everyday major league player. But unfortunately, if you're looking to upgrade in another position, you're going to have to give up a good everyday major league player to do it. Your choices are going to be, are you going to trade Nemo? Are you going to trade Conforto? Are you going to trade Rosario? In fact, the Miami Marlins are asking for Conforto and Rosario just to get a trade started. Now, if you're the Mets, you probably hang up the phone. But if you want to keep the conversation going, you say, hey, listen, the Marlins at this point have asked for too much. Two everyday major league players for the Mets in exchange for 
a catcher. Now, if the Marlins come back into discussion, still go on. And the Mets say that they want to hold on to Conforto and want to hold on to Rosario. And a conversation shifts to Brandon Nimmo, I think you have to be open-minded. Now, you got to understand the Marlins' perspective. Brandon Nimmo by himself is not going to be enough. So this may be all for naught. This may be a conversation that we're having for nothing because it may not lead to anything. But if you're discussing Brandon Nimmo, I don't have a problem with dealing him in this type of trade for JT Romuda. The Mets are looking for a catcher. They are in a spot where they're looking to get themselves and improve themselves up the middle. And I certainly think it's going to give them the flexibility if they trade one of their outfielders that they could go out on the free agent market, maybe sign a Bryce Harper. I don't think I'd rule it out if you listen to Brody Van Wagen, and I don't think anything could be ruled out at this point. But I'd like to see the Mets add some offense to their outfield. I mean, this thought that you're going to put Martin Maldonado behind the plate as your catcher and go into this season with an outfield of Conforto and Nimmo and Juan Lagares, it doesn't excite me. And maybe it would take trading a Nimmo for Real Muto to allow the Mets to add themselves another outfielder. And I'd be okay with A.J. Pollock. I know a lot, a lot of people wouldn't agree with me with it. A lot of people look at A.J. Pollock and say, hey, there's a guy that's been hurt over the last couple seasons. Uh, a certain uh, you know, future has been set. What can you expect? You look at the ghost of Christmas past with New York Mets free agents, guys that end up not working out over a series of time, over a series of a long-term contract. But if you get A.J. Pollock on a four-year deal, gives yourself the financial resources to be able to make some other moves, you make the trade for Real Muto, which, by the way, is going to cost you more than just Brandon Nimmo. I'm thinking at this point, if you want to make a fair trade and being fair on both sides for the Mets and the Miami Marlins, it's going to be Brandon Nimmo. It's probably going to be top prospect Andres Jimenez, the shortstop. Probably have to throw in maybe a Dom Smith, which I know a lot of Mets fans aren't going to be upset with watching go. And then maybe a, a young minor league pitcher. Maybe an Anthony Kay, maybe a Thomas Sapicki. You know, it, it's going to take something like that to be able to make a deal like that for JT Romuto. You could also go to Root and say, hey, we're not going to sign, we're not going to make this trade. We're going to go out there and sign a free agent catcher. And a concern that I have with Yasmani Grandal, and I know he's the most popular catcher that's out there in regards to the New York Mets. I know the Mets, you know, Mets fans are like, hey, we could go sign Yasmani Grandal. And all he's going to cost is money. We could give him a four-year contract, whatever, and he's not going to cost us any players. We still get to hold on to Brandon Nemo. Two issues I got with Grandal. Number one, here's a guy that is catching, potentially, for one of the best pitchers of this generation. This generation, Sandy Koufax. This generation's Pedro Martinez. This generation's... Tom Seaver and Clayton Kershaw does not want to pitch to him. He used AJ Ellis for years. And that was okay. You say, hey, Ellis is a veteran catcher. Ellis was the Dodgers catcher when Clayton Kershaw came up to the major leagues. So obviously they have that bond. As long as Ellis was there, it didn't matter who the starting catcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers was. Clayton Kershaw was going to pitch to him. All right, that's fine. A.J. Ellis has been gone from there for a couple of years. Austin Barnes, 
Not a very good hitting catcher, but he's not Yasmani Grandal. And Clayton Kershaw's pitching to him. So I have a problem if one of the best pitchers of this generation, let alone in baseball, does not want to pitch to Yasmani Grandal. If that same relationship exists with Jacob DeGrom, or that same relationship exists with Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler. And I understand Syndergaard and Wheeler have not performed enough where maybe they have the right to make that proclamation. You're, you're making a bad investment because you got a potential all-star catcher that you're not able to run out there four out of every five games. And that's what you need to do. If you bring in a real Muto, if you bring in a Grandal, though that catcher is going to be playing four of every five games. You got a backup, whether it's Darno or Plowecki, they're only going to get out there once a week. So if I have a top pitcher in Clayton Kershaw, as we hit the halfway point here in the past ball shop, a top pitcher in all of baseball in this entire generation in Clayton Kershaw that does not want to pitch to Yasmani Grandal, pretty similar to Greg Maddox not wanting to pitch to Javi Lopez. That doesn't excite me. And I'm looking at the amount of money that we could be throwing out or the Mets could be throwing out that could address other needs. You're going to pay $15 million a year over an uncertainty. Because if the Mets are lucky enough to make the playoffs in 2019, which the way they're trying to play in their roster expects themselves to be competitive, expects themselves to be in a postseason, I don't want to have game one of the NLDS or the NLCS where you're debating whether Yasmani Grandal or Travis Darno or Kevin Ploiecki is going to be the Mets catcher. Because if I'm paying Grandal that money, similarly to if I'm paying JT Realmuto that money in arbitration, I'm going to make sure that guy's being run out there every day. And once again, you make a trade of Realmuto, and I understand for a lot of fans it's going to suck to see Brandon Nemo be dealt. Similarly to the way it would suck to see Mets, you know, for Mets fans to see Michael Conforto traded, to see Ahmed Rosario traded. And I'm sure there's plenty of Mets fans, especially the stat nerds, the ones that go into the minor league systems and you know, value every player in the minor leagues like he's the next coming of Babe Ruth. I understand there's people that are pissed off that Jared Kelenic is now a member of the Seattle Mariners. We live in a world where you got to give up something to get something. I'm not sold on Grandal. I'm certainly not sold on Martin Maldonado. You want to say, hey, you got a good pitch framer, a good game caller behind the plate? I'm looking at the rest of the Mets offense, and I still think that is below average. The Mets have to make more than one move to their offense. Hope is, is that Peter Alonso will be the everyday first baseman, and he can hit 30 home runs and win a rookie of the year this year. That'd be great. Mets need to add themselves another outfielder who's going to provide some more offense. Now, you may disagree with me about AJ Pollock. That's fine. I'd, I'd like Michael Brantley too. Certainly Bryce Harper. And if you could add yourself Bryce Harper, you're looking at a hell of a team. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for the entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, 
is similarly prohibited. So I wanted to talk a little NHL right now, and I'm going to make this brief. It's a pretty obvious point. We're watching the National Hockey League, and I understand the game, you know, it, it, it's something that you're always trying to involve. You're always trying to improve the product. And I think when you saw last year the Las Vegas Golden Knights, one of the better stories in all of sports over the last several years, do what they did, getting to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year. It, it was number one, made a lot of fans of teams that haven't seen their team go very far and win a Stanley Cup in a while be pretty pissed off, but also showed that there is a ridiculous amount of talent in this sport. And if there was one reason or one thing that I could point to that could make any sense to the fact that the NHL could expand, might have something to do with the amount of talent that exists throughout the world. I believe if you took every top NHL player or top player in the entire world and put them in the NHL, you may be able to fill 32 quality rosters. But you have the competition from the KHL. You have the competition for hockey that exists throughout Europe and throughout the world. So all those different entities are competing for the same athletes and the same hockey players. So you don't, even through 30 teams or even through 28 teams in the National Hockey League, have the world's best talent all coming to play in the NHL. And that's a problem. And that's a similar problem that you could have said if you're talking about USA soccer. You're talking about a soccer league in the United States of America, unfortunately, you're not going to get all the best players in the world to play. That's why soccer as it exists in this country is not as popular as football, basketball, baseball, and even hockey. The NHL is in the same problem. They're competing with other leagues that are throughout the world. And these leagues throughout the world are taking some of the top players, some of the best players in your sport, so if you're in the NHL, you should make sure at some point that you're judging the amount of teams that you got and the amount of players that you have and ask yourself what kind of product you're having over a long period of time. Because if you have 30 teams or if you have 28 teams or if you have 26 teams, yes, I understand you're going to talk about a lot of jobs that are being lost. You're going to talk about a lot of National Hockey League players that are not going to be on rosters because of the amount of jobs that are eliminated. But does it enhance the quality of the product? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And you understand, and I understand, that the NHL was going to go to a 32nd team, adding the Vegas Golden Knights as their 31st team. You knew it was going to be a matter of time before they added a 32nd team. So this isn't a shocker. It might have been a shocker that Vegas was getting a team and that team was number 31. It's no shock that they're going to an even number of 32 teams. The question is, what's the need for it? And are you going to see a watered-down product as we move on forward? Because I think it's something that has to be understood. When you have the best players in the world, in some cases, not all guaranteed to come to the United States of America and to Canada to play hockey, you're going to see a watered-down product. And the more teams that you add, the less quality you're going to have amongst what you're seeing on the ice. 
This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find in no beer at any cost. Urban Meyer makes the decision that after the Rose Bowl this year, he's going to retire. And I think a lot of people are split in the middle. They may say, hey, it's an opportunity for him to break away from Ohio State. If you go back of some of the issues that were going on earlier in the season, Zach Smith, the assistant coach, and people going for the jugular, wanting to see Urban Meyer lose his job. Very asinine point of view, by the way, if you want, if you feel that way. I'm never going to agree with you. So he gets through the season, and of course the season turned for the better with Ohio State's performance against Michigan. Not just beating them, but the way they beat them. Beat them. They had a great game plan. It looked like they were getting ready and trying to prepare themselves for Michigan all season. They went out there and they dominated, winning 62-39. to They beat Northwestern for the Big 12 Championship. They're on their way to the Rose Bowl. They're not going to get into the BCS, so they're not going to have a chance to play for the national championship this season. The other issue, obviously, is Urban Meyer's health. And I'm going to segue eventually into the health of another longtime coach in a little bit. But, you know, Urban Meyer has to ask himself, does he have the ability with what he's having to deal with health-wise to, over the long term, do what's going to be required out of him as the coach of Ohio State. And I don't have a problem with him stepping away, but this thought that Urban Meyer is going to go out there and take another job, how many jobs out there are more powerful in college football than Ohio State? I mean, Michigan isn't coming up anytime soon, or it might be. Is he going to go to Michigan? Is he going to go to Notre Dame? Is he going to go to USC? Those are really three of the only scenarios. Here's a guy that was successful at Florida, was successful at Ohio State. Like I said, Ohio State is one of the biggest jobs you can have in a country as a college football coach. So this thought that Urban Meyer is going to step away and all of a sudden come back up and be coach of somebody else, I don't know if it's going to happen. I think a lot of it's going to have to do with his health. How seriously have his health issues impacted his ability to coach? Because I believe a coach wants to coach. And that's the same reason Bill Parcells came back all those times. That's the same time all these other coaches will take some time off and all of a sudden come back because that's what a coach does, a coach coaches. Now, would Urban Meyer go to the NFL? I would think that you would need an extreme boost in his health to end up coming up to, you know, for him to decide that he's going to go to the NFL. Because, number one, there's no guarantee he'll be able to handle the NFL. Nick Saban, great coach at Alabama, great college football coach, couldn't hang in the NFL. Bobby Petrino only took him a couple games for him to realize he wasn't an NFL head coach. So there's no guarantee that Urban Meyer would be a good NFL head coach. And there's no guarantee he'd even want it. But the interesting thing about this, and I, th I think this should be taken off the, 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 the radar, Urban Meyer is not taking any job next season. More than likely, Urban Meyer has coached his last game. And you hope from his health standpoint that he could recover, 
He could not have to deal with the pain and the suffering that he's having to deal with and get himself to a point where he can live a very long life. The very long life that the great Jim Valvano did not have a chance to live. And I'll tell you, and I've seen this a number of times, but every time I watch it, it's one of the more inspiring stories that you could watch if you're a sports fan. And that's the ESPN 3030 on Jim Valvano and the NC State Wolfpack. Obviously, if you're a sports fan and you know your history, you know that the 1983 NC State team was probably one of the bigger underdog stories to ever win a national championship. They had a battle through their own conference, a great team in Virginia, and some other very good teams there, such as North Carolina. And they were able to get through Virginia, not just to beat them for the ACC championship, but beat them again in the NCAA tournament. And then going up against the Houston Cougars, five Slamma Jamma, Hakeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, and going out there and winning that game in dramatic fashion with that Wittenberg 35-foot bomb that ends up looking like it's going to fall short. And Lorenzo Charles jumps up and dunks it. That's probably the greatest way you're ever going to see a national championship won in college basketball. It might be one of the greatest ways you could ever see a team win a championship game in any type of sports history. But his story obviously is about Jim Valvano, the motivator that he was, how he learned from Vince Lombardi, how he could motivate his players in a way that nobody else could. And you could tell he put his heart and his soul into his job. And of course, later on, he ends up, whether he was involved or not involved, NC State with some violations in regards to the payment of players, Valvano, who at least was proven to have not done much, if anything, wrong, ends up resigning, ends up contracting cancer and dying a couple of years later. Now, I wonder, and you know, cancer is a very interesting thing to think about because you never, you never know where it comes from. You could talk about the you know, how cancer can happen, whether it's, you know, different issues that you have health-wise, but there's also plenty of examples of it just coming out of nowhere. And there's also that thought of, hey, how about from a mental perspective to have a series of unfortunate events happen and all of a sudden cancer comes up and bites you? Jim Valvano was stricken with it not too long after he lost his job or had to resign or decided to resign as the NC State coach. Everybody knows about his ESPY speech. Everybody knows about you know the Jimmy V Foundation and the don't give up, don't ever give up. There's a guy that was gifted with the ability to speak and he used it until his last day, until his dying day. Went there on the 10th anniversary of the 1983 NC State Wolfpack National Championship team. And spoke and inspired. Did the same thing at the ESPY speech. Just a guy that, honestly, you wish was still around. Because you know that he had not only the gift for gab, but the ability to construe points that can impact people's lives. And I'd like a guy like that in my corner. I'd like a guy like that 
going out there in front of a microphone and inspiring people. And, you know, obviously, if for whatever reason you never seen the ESPN 30 for 30 with Jimmy V, probably one of the best ones they ever did. As we segue into the Nobody's Listening segment of the program, just want to throw out there that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. So this is the point of the show, and I do want to acknowledge Dave. Dave wants to know if the Mets made the trade. If you're referring to the Robinson Cano trade, he you know, was announced yesterday. The Mets had a press conference. The Seattle Mariners are actually having a press conference today where they're going to introduce their players. So that trade is official. Earlier on in the show, we discussed a couple things in regards of what the Mets should do. Spoke about Urban Meyer. Spoke about Jim Valvano. Spoke about NHL expanding to a point where I think there's going to be such a watered-down product that you're seeing on the ice. And if you're a hockey fan, it's got to frustrate you because you're already dealing with some very good players, some of the top players in the world that are playing in Europe, that are choosing to not play in the NHL. And you're going to expand from a 31st to a 32nd team. And I understand it was something that was inevitable. Teams don't expand to finish with an odd number of teams. So you knew a 32nd team was coming. By the way, I haven't mentioned it. Congratulations to Seattle. They're getting another sports franchise. Which, by the way, is probably coinciding with them losing a sports franchise for the next couple of years in the Seattle Mariners. Is there anybody that's going to be left on the Seattle Mariners roster in the next month or so? So maybe we could get ready for an NHL team to be in Seattle. And maybe the NHL felt some pity for the Seattle Mariners fans in awarding this team to Seattle. So sliding over to the point of the show. I thank everybody for tuning in right now. Anybody that's stuck with me for the last 35, 40 minutes. You get a chance, if you want, to listen to me talk about something that is not related to sports. And I made this point the other day. We, we're, in, we're in a society now where technology could be used against us. Technology is obviously at our fingertips. So it gives us an advantage in many spots. The fact that everybody has a mobile phone, can take pictures, can shoot video. Things that you couldn't do 20 years ago. Technology exists to a point where they really should be able to solve a lot more problems than they're really solving. You think of lie detector tests, the way they're set up. And how they could detect the deception in somebody's mind. If, if I'm on a polygraph right now and I'm being asked a certain question and I decide that I'm going to be deceitful in my answer, it's going to pick it up. Now, do you have to use an old-fashioned polygraph with the needles moving up and down on a piece of paper? Everything else has progressed in society where it's digital. And I've suggested for years that it may be time to have chips put in people's heads. Chips which people believe very extremely are a violation of people's rights, may be better for the common good of people. And deception is a major thing that exists out there. Now, I'm not going to put it up there and say that it's up there with murder. It's not up there with abuse, 
We talked about domestic violence on this show last week. A very serious thing. For somebody to simple a simple white lie shouldn't be criminal. But if you think about somebody that is lying under oath or is being deceptive under oath and they're found guilty of perjury, there are criminal criminal ramifications towards that. So is there a way that we can better assure that people are being truthful, at least in situations where it is very important? Like I said, a little white lie here and there, a little embellishment here and there probably won't hurt somebody. But when it talk when you're talking about the lives of other people and the impact of other people and not being truthful in a case because you're worried about criminal prosecution. We live in a society where we have the technology available. Is it time to bring in the chip? I do want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Once again, this is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnKelly.com as well at St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We're going to do another show later on in a week. Just a reminder, uh, next week we'll be down in Las Vegas for the baseball winter meetings. Uh, we're going to do a couple little things there. Obviously, goal number one is I'm going out there trying to get a job, which, you know, we're zero for four. But I think we've uh, built up enough momentum where we got things going on that I think something can happen. But number two, we're going to continue our interaction with people that are associated with the game of baseball. Last year, we had a chance to speak with Larry Sorensen. We talked with Steve Swisher. Uh, we spoke with Steve Phillips. So there were a couple, you know, there's obviously a ton of baseball executives and people associated with the game. I'll take my corny pictures, which I do believe they're corny, but mostly want to get pictures with people that have been part of the show. And I do want to thank everybody that has been part of the ride for the last several years, though nearly 400-something episodes that we've done of the show, something that I believe, regardless of what ends up happening, where my next format is going to be in regards to communication, the passball show is always going to go on. And we're talking about hundreds and if not thousands of people that have been associated with the show, not just my listeners, but the ball players, the people that are part of media that have been guests on the show, the co-hosts that we have have had over the years. It's, it's something that has been very special. A little quick recap of the show today. The Mets certainly should trade or consider trading Brandon Nimmo to the Marlins for JT Real Muto, not because there's anything wrong with Brandon Nimmo, but because if you're going to make a trade, you're going to have to give up something to get something. And I'd rather see the Mets deal Nimmo than Michael Conforto or Ahmed Rosario. Now, the deal is going to have to be expanded. You're going to have to include top prospect Andres Jimenez. You're probably going to have to include maybe one of your top pitchers, maybe an Anthony Kay. Maybe a Thomas, Thomas Sapuki. Dominic Smith could be a good throw-in in a trade, but you're certainly not going to consider him a meat part of the trade or a very valuable part of the trade. Next thing, we spoke about NHL expansion. Urban Meyer leaving Ohio State. I don't believe he is going to coach again. Jim Valvano. Really one of the greatest motivational speakers you'll ever hear in this world. So this is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We'll be back with you later on in a week. We're going to hit a couple other choice topics. 
going on in the world of sports. If you want to get a chance, uh, we just started to kind of get some momentum going through Instagram. We got some one-minute clips. I uh, focused a lot on my show that I did last week about domestic violence. And I made some very uh, poignant points, some very matter-of-fact and curt points that I do hope people get a chance, if you haven't, to listen to them. We'll be back with you later on in the week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.